last week with um, a few general concepts, and let me just kind of remind you, if some of these we've put on the handout, but just so you can kind of keep a general sense of where we're headed here. Uh, first of all, spiritual warfare often brings a bit of discomfort, but I remind you to go into this with an open heart and see if maybe the Lord has something He wants to offer you in this study. Last week, we also talked about all the verses about spiritual warfare. We're very familiar with them, but there's quite a few in Scripture. Um, and that most of us fall usually in one of two camps. One is where everything is a spiritual battle. I mean, everything. And sometimes overlooking our own personal decisions, uh, poor decisions, things that we have done that have caused negative things in our life versus it truly being uh, something that came from Satan or from the enemy. And then the other is pretty much denial. We just don't perceive it. There's spiritual warfare going on. We just aren't very aware of it. And somewhere in the middle is probably um, the most correct view of it. And the core behind all of this is intimacy with God. Spiritual warfare is not intended for you to take on for yourself. You against the enemy. It's the Lord's battle. It's already been won. You step into partnership with Him in spiritual warfare. And that's the thing we want to say over and over and over. And that is that intimacy with God is the basis for being able to fight the battle. Last week, we started. There are six necessary weapons that are in your workbook that you've worked through. We did three last week. The shield of faith, sword of the spirit, um, power in the name of Jesus, which is a fairly new concept for a lot of us, and then praise, worship, and intercession, and how that, as part of the rhythm of your life, not just that two hours that you carve out on Sunday morning, but for <laughs> praise and worship uh, and intercession to be part of the rhythm of your life and the role that it can play in spiritual warfare. It can be a wonderful blessing and definitely a weapon. Uh, did any did anybody uh, have anything they wanted to share from this past week as we talked about warfare and being more aware of these things that come at you and really maybe identifying something that you may not have identified before uh, as being warfare? Did anybody have something? Some of you have mentioned some things to me kind of offline. You certainly don't have to say them out loud. But what about your perception of warfare this week? That's awesome. No battles in the whole room. I felt it this week. Uh, I know y'all are thinking, would you just hurry up and retire? You talk about it all the time, but I'm on track. 1231, I'm retiring, but there's a big transition. I've been at the company 34 years and big transition in leadership for the person taking my role. Um, and I'm feeling this real sense of okay, this is something you've done for a long time. There was significance and acknowledgement of what you were doing. Now someone else is coming in, doing things a little differently. What is this doing to me and my sense of myself, my identity? I'm feeling these battles going on in my brain. I know the enemy would like to just plant a seed here and there, but I feel like the spirit all week was like going, nope, 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 <laughs> you know, let it go, nope, that's not you, nope, nope. 
Um, so as you walk out your life, you realize that spiritual warfare is something that's circumstantial to what's going on with you at the time, right? The enemy's looking for opportunity and a chance to take advantage. Mine has been, and something not just this week, I have this, for whatever reason, this underlying sense of anxiety. Um, I will find myself gritting my teeth. Just for, I'm driving along the road, and all of a sudden I realize I'm doing it, and I'm going, what in the world? I don't feel anxious, but something's up. And so... uh, that's probably the next thing we're going to do in one of my prayer sessions, Franklin, is, uh, <laughs> is, is that. But um, I have to constantly remind myself that I don't have to be anxious for anything. Uh, and I wish it were one of those things where I could tell you that I've done it several times and it's kind of gone away. Uh, but it hadn't. And I don't know if it's a part of my... DNA makeup or to be uh, I believe that can kind of be the case where you can have a tendency towards being an anxious person uh, and so but that's a, that's really been a, a thing for me and um, well part of my temperament is to deny what I'm actually experiencing and just Mind over matter. I'm a I'm an eighty on the enneagram, and H don't don't we're we're not honest with ourselves. <laughs> we uh we we think we're something and we're really not, and so the anxiety is part of that. But you might be getting to just with the fear and anxiety. I just feel like that is just so common. Yeah. Um, it's common in me. It's common and my kids, and it's probably the most common thing that comes up in a freedom prayer session. Um, And the Lord did not give us a spirit of fear. And we know that first, but it was just kind of new to me to acknowledge it as it being a spirit, Mm -hmm. and it's not from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so that's... You can't say anything else. That's where we're headed. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's a great segue, actually. Anything else? Story at the end. Okay, great. No, okay. that would be awesome because I had not lived in that thought process either. Yeah. And our number six is discernment, and it's all about spirit. Yeah. What what kind of spirit is stirred up? So, but I do. I, will go back to you I do right. want people to hear what you just said. That it's a spirit. Yeah. It's not just something. It's a spirit that we can fight against. Okay. All right, so our weapon number four we're going to talk about today is rest. And y'all are like, yeehaw, I get to take a nap. I get to rest. I get to chill out just a bit. Everybody understands the need for rest. Um, Of course, this is more than taking a nap every day. But God started at the very beginning talking about the benefit of rest, right? He demonstrated that with the seventh day of creation. He said, I know... Rest is important, and I'm making this very clear. Mark 2, 27 says the Sabbath was made for man, knowing that we need Sabbath. So why would rest be necessary for a battle? Well, a weary soldier is not very effective. 
I mean, we all know what it's like to be weary and tired and then try to do something you just don't do very well. And there are so many scriptures that talk about wait for the Lord, just wait and rest and what that means. This very familiar passage, but it's so important, Matthew 11 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So rest is part of coming near to the Lord, and that's where, in that rested place, we're able to take on the schemes of the enemy. You know, we're often jumping into battles before we think, A, is this my battle? And B, is it time for this battle? Now, sometimes you're in the middle of something, you got to deal with it right then because you're under attack. Something's going on. But sometimes a battle that you know isn't right or something that's going on that's not good may not be yours to take on. Sometimes if you're watching a relationship struggle, between two other people. It might not be, you see, it's not a good thing, but not necessarily for you to jump in and be a part of or to take care of. Another may be when you watch general injustice. Timing is very important when you address items that you see around you, and it might be a matter of waiting on the Lord and listening to the Lord as for timing. Let's go back to the connection and learning to listen and knowing that his timing is perfect. And in this course of rest, let me tell you one of my number one things and his too, and some of it comes from my background, but it is striving. When you are striving to please the Lord, it is not a place of rest. It's not. In fact, when you rest, you feel guilty (laughs) because you're thinking, no, no, I'm supposed to be striving. I'm supposed to be working harder. I'm supposed to be getting it right. Doing something. Doing something. Yes, it doesn't count unless I'm doing something. So resting is a little, uh, what's the word? Not conflicting. Countercultural. There you go. Yeah, it is. It's countercultural in church. Um, Especially if you... Um, grew up in a place where behavior was what was measured, right? Because behavior and heart are not the same thing. I have to admit to when I was growing up, everybody paid really close attention to the Sunday morning only people and the Sunday night, Wednesday night crowd because they were in the club, right? We had no idea what was going on with those people's lives. Who are we to judge when people do and don't do things, but we were measuring it by external things that did not at all reflect what was going on in someone's heart. Rest is a place through connection where you ask the Lord, tell me, is this a place to rest? Is this a place to jump in? Is this a place to take on this battle? It all goes back to that intimacy. Um, I remember as a child, and some of you may be the same way, that when I would get sick at school, I would go to the nurse, and I'd have a fever or whatever, and they would say, okay, you need to go home, get your books. And they would call my mom, and they would give me the phone, and she would go, 
I'm sorry, honey, how are you? I would burst into tears. I had been fine the whole time. I even went off to college and called her on the payphone from the hall. That tells you how long ago it was. And she was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I've been listening. Because it was my mama's voice. And I knew when she picked me up, she was going to make me what we called a pallet on the couch. And she was going to get me something to drink. And she was going to tend to me in my struggle, in my sickness. That's what this rest is. It is calling on the Lord like I would call my mama and I was holding it together until she pulled me close. And she tended to me and there was a rest in that, but I was healed in that place. Okay? And that's the concept of rest. Let me add to that a little bit. How many of you decide that you're going to kind of back off and rest and somebody calls you and needs you to do something and you feel guilty because all you're doing is going to rest. (laughs) And let me tell you something. Rest is as important as doing. Because that's where we stay in a place where we can stay balanced. If we stay busy, we get out of balance. And that's when we become even more vulnerable. It was hard for me to stop and do nothing. I grew up in a family that basically said you, you went from can to can't. That makes sense? You, you can go, 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 go until you can't go any longer and you collapse. But if you stop before you can collapse, then you're not... Then, you should feel guilty because you should be doing something else. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so, just the fact for me to stop and rest actually was extremely hard. And it's not easy for me to do. Um, uh, the other weapon we fight with is from James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, where... James wrote, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now, uh, I really struggled with how to approach that this morning, so... um, um, The reason why we submit to God is when we personally acknowledge that we're in over our heads and we need help. Unfortunately, for many years, I did not enter the day being aware that I would need some help. Matter of fact, my pride, I didn't want to depend upon anybody for anything because that means I would owe you something and I would feel obligated to you And I would feel like I'd had to do something for you in return so so that it wouldn't be a bother to me. I didn't want you to help me. I don't care how much I was struggling. I did not want you to help me because I did not want to be indebted to you. In any way, her, anybody, didn't matter. 
Um, but here's the reality. Paul said, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in the Lord's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. Then Paul goes on to say, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very things I do, I don't. And there's this conflict going on. Um, just humor me for a minute. You know, don't you hate it when people ask questions where the answers are obvious? Okay, I'm going to ask you that question and quit judging me and just answer the question. <laughs> How many of you right now would take a trip to Ukraine? Why not? And this is where you respond. Why not? There's a battle. There's a battle. Why else? Not called. Hmm? Don't feel called. I don't no. feel called. Right yeah, yeah, I really don't, definitely don't feel called. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. What else? Dangerous. Huh? Yeah. Dangerous. You would be putting yourself into a situation where you would feel helpless. And how would I stay safe? Where could I go in Ukraine and a bomb not drop? Where could I go in Ukraine and walk down the street and not fear that someone would step around the corner or some soldiers would step around the corner and shoot me or take me prisoner? I'm not saying that we need to enter into every day full of fear. That's not my point. What I want us to be aware of is that I want us to be awake. I want us to be conscious of what is going on around us because there is a battle going on. Josh said something this morning that I thought was very interesting uh, that really never occurred to me. The only place that describes a physical battle going on is in Job 1 and 2 between God and Satan. I thought, well, how interesting. But who are we dealing with? Satan and the devil. He has a mission. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a deceiver. The devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He's the accuser. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down. He will devour. Discipline yourselves. Be alert like a roaring lion. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Schemes. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The Greek word for schemes is mathadaya. Does that sound familiar to one of our words? He has a method just for you. You specifically. He doesn't have just this overall general plan he has a plan for you he and his angels and so when we submit to God we ask him for help and Psalm 109 uh, David said help me O Lord my God 
Save me according to your steadfast love. We acknowledge that his ways are better than our ways. And only with God can I come out of this. And the next is resisting the devil. He says, submit to God and resist to the devil. Why do you think he says submitting to God first before he says resisting the devil? You can't resist without God. That's right. That's right. If you tried to resist before you submit, you're doing it on your own. If you find yourself resisting before you're submitting, you're putting yourself in a no-win situation. Okay? Resist the devil. Listen to this. Resist the devil, not the temptation. Are you with me? How many of us try to resist the temptation So why is it important to resist the devil and don't focus on resisting the temptation? What's the difference? Sort of like the symptoms versus the cause. That's right. If I focus on the temptation, who am I focusing on? Me. It's all about me. But if I focus on Satan, then that is the real issue. But when I try to deal with my temptation, I'm trying to address something that I have absolutely no control over without God. So I'm in a lose-lose situation. So instead of focusing on my temptation, I'm not saying we shouldn't focus on it. Resist temptation. I'm just saying, if you want to get to the root of overcoming your temptation, you've got to resist Satan. Because he is the source. And, and keep in mind, he's more powerful than you. He's not more powerful than God, but he's more powerful than you. And... There's a reason why Peter says, prepare your minds for actions. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when He is revealed. How much more time? Five. Okay. Um, Okay. Write this question down. And I want you to reflect on it later. What do you do to prepare against Satan's attacks? What do you do personally? Now keep in mind, we all don't have to do it the same way. But what do you personally need to do? Okay. And when we resist uh, Satan, and this is what we do in freedom prayer, that most people, the light goes on. Because when they believe these lies or when they're driven by fear and they release that and give that over to the Lord and then He replaces that lie with the truth, then when they go, then we tell them at the end, listen, when you hear those old voices in your head, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go back to this image of what you had when you saw the Father 
and remember the truth that He told you. That is resisting Satan. And he said in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. Willpower in no way compares to truth. Our problem is we have a hard time believing truth. If God says something about us, we're going, really? Are you sure? I don't kind of see it that way. It doesn't matter what we think. He said it. And it's, all, it's, and it's, it's faith. It's faith. Do you know what's synonymous with faith? Swallowing. Swallowing. All He wants me to do is to swallow the truth and let it become a part of me and who I am. Okay. Okay. When you find yourself being tempted by Satan and you resist him, I want to give you a little... Some, some people like a little... Uh, what do you call them? Acronym. Acronym to help. This is called SNAP. When you realize it, SNAP. Stop. Notice. Adjust. And pray. Stop. Notice. Adjust, adjust, and pray. Uh, Ian Crone gave us that in the Enneagram conference, and so it's been meaningful to me. The last thing is draw near. Uh, as I said in my prayer earlier, God is always near. It, it's, it's our choice of whether we want to turn around and acknowledge Him. So the nearness is not so much on His part, it is on our part. Okay. I'm going to ask this one question. What is it that motivates you to draw near to God? When I need something or want something? That's right. That's not a bad thing. That's not a negative. Because that's the reality, right? We want to label that as selfish. And it's actually a matter of survival. What else? The feeling of, like you said, when your mom's going to care for you, that mm-hmm. kind of like comfort. Or the yeah. Comfort, yeah, absolutely. Good. Mm-hmm. What else? Tragedy. Hmm? Tragedy is the same as one. Yeah. yeah, a need for sure. A need. Mm hmm. Acknowledging that his way is going to be better than mine. Right, right. Okay, good. What else? Well, it feels like no one else uh, understands. There's no one else to turn to. <coughs> That's right. That's good. He created me. He knows me. Right. Gratitude. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, that's a good one. Absolutely. Yeah. When you remember what he's done before. Wonderful. What else? 
And you were reminded of like your true self. And yeah. So that, that place where you're like most mm-hmm. known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like going home and remembering who, who you are, where you came from, what made you what you are. Yeah. So true. So very true. And here's the thing. There's several others but you can, you're going to experience all of those at some time in your life. You know what draws me near to God? Psalm 139. Search me and know me. He knows where I go. And everywhere I go, He's there. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm about to say. He knows what I'm going to do. And you know what? He's still there. And He still loves me. That's why I want to draw near. Because He loves me for who I am. And for who He wants me to be. He doesn't want to condemn me to hell. He wants to save me. And if I can go to Him for that, why wouldn't I want to draw near to Him? Sorry. No, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry about drawing near to the Lord. That's, you know, that's a good thing. Our sixth weapon is discernment. This is a concept like Reed uh, that was new for me, but really so helpful. Definition we're going to use here is the ability to make discriminating judgments to distinguish between and recognize the moral implication of a different situation and a course of action. Bottom line is seeing things with God's eyes, seeing things as God sees them, learning to discern and allowing the Spirit in us to teach us how to discern, learning to investigate our own hearts and be able to see those broken places. And when we learn to do that and we discern those things in ourselves, guess what the byproduct is? I learn to give that grace toward others as well. I see them differently because I see myself differently. How many conflicts that you have in your life are averted when somebody takes on um, a kind spirit instead of that spirit that we all have within us. And there are a lot, and you don't respond in kind. When something happens and the other person does not respond with the exact same deserving response. Let me give you a great example out of Scripture. Luke 9, 51, it says that Jesus was in Samaria and the uh, he wasn't received well. And so I think it was James and John, they, they were mad. And so they came up to the Lord and said, Hey, Lord, do you want us to command fire come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? (laughs) Okay, let's let's pause here and ask a question. Were James and John justified in their sense of indignance? Absolutely, because these folks had been mistreating the Lord, right? He wasn't well accepted. They were taking on a cause that seemed to make sense. Listen to the Lord's response. But he turned and he rebuked them and said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Mm -hmm. And they left and went to another village. 
seeing this situation with their spirit of fill in the blank. What was their spirit of? Huh? Retaliation. Retaliation. They had a spirit of, uh, even a spirit of justice that we talked about a while ago that you sometimes need to wait on the Lord to manage for you. That spirit of anger they were feeling in behalf of the Lord. He said, that spirit is not from me. Your response is the opposite of what I would have done. That goes back to our definition of seeing things through the Lord's eyes. James and John did not see it as he did. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about when I mean uh, what kind of spirit is welling up or something that you are dealing with? We must discern, discern what spirit we are operating in before we can discern it in other people. So you have to start with yourself. You're not going to be a good discerner of others until you do that for yourself. <laughs> take take the your, log out of your own eye. Well, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take the, take the log out of your own eye before you clean out a speck in someone else's. Um, Sorry. That's okay. Uh, have you ever looked back on a situation and thought, what was that all about for yourself mm-hmm. in a response? Something welled up in you and you thought, for me, it's not something I'm often proud of. Later, I responded looking back thinking, where did that come from? The weapon of discernment takes that to the Lord. Ask mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, what is that? Name that for me. I do not want to have that in my life. I'm not seeing things with your eyes, Lord. I'm seeing it through the spirit of fill in the blank. Are y'all with me? Do you see the difference? And how in warfare, what a wonderful tool this is. What a weapon it can be. Have you ever had a conversation with someone? This is where I have felt the spirit prick me or typed something in an email and then realize later that you shared information that had no other motive than to make yourself look good? Yes, I'll be happy to respond with that report, but today I'm serving room in the end that we do for the homeless people at our church. Really? Does a colleague? I didn't do that. I'm just saying, does a colleague need to hear that? Why did I put that in there? Because I had a spirit of pride or a spirit of competition or a spirit of fill in the blank. For each of us, it can be something different. Have you ever talked negatively about someone without them being present and you were not part of the problem or the solution, which I think is a great definition of gossip. You know, if you're not part of the problem or the solution, you don't need to be sharing it. Was it a spirit of judgment is why I talked about that? Was it a spirit of making myself look better in that circumstance? Lord, where did that come from in me? What is that about? This is spirit work. He is convicting us of motives that don't come from him. Him, He's identifying a spirit, and that's warfare against anything that keeps me from being like Jesus whatever it is that keeps me from transforming into his likeness is a spirit that is not from him. And he works. He's not condemning. Remember, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is that stir in your inner spirit where you go, hmm, where'd that come from? I don't want that in my life. 
Ephesians 4.26 demonstrates how the enemy can take a feeling and gain ground. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. That's what I'm talking about. The anger came up, but boy, what an opportunity for the enemy to pull it into sin, right? And it says, don't give him a foothold. That's what he's looking for. That goes back to the schemes, right? He's looking for a foothold in my life that does not match the foothold in yours. But anything that can keep the Spirit's work of transforming me into being like Jesus, he's going to try. He's going to give it a shot. In another state, but I throw that out at the beginning, Mike and I worked with someone in leadership in a church, and I felt myself constantly annoyed and irritated with her. And it didn't really help because he felt the same way. <laughs> I voiced it more than she did. I, listen, and, and it was one of those situations where when you'd have a meeting and she wasn't able to come, you're like, whew, that's a relief. This, this um, was a source of irritation for me. Um, but as I thought more about it and as it went on longer and as the spirit was working in me, I realized that my spirit of pride was reacting to her demeanor that felt to me like condescend, like a condescension. You know, someone... There's, there was kind of this air, but it was my reaction to that that was the point. It wasn't her behavior that was the point. It may have been. Well, <laughs> look, you're messing up my lesson here. Knock it off. Some people are annoying, aren't they? Well, thank you very much. I'm headed there. I'm okay. headed there with right. that. I'm what saying, I'm saying is... I didn't is, want us to miss it. What I'm saying is... <laughs> But here's, here's what I would do, though. Work with me here. I would give myself credit because I didn't make a snarky remark in the meeting or because I didn't gossip about her behind her back because I was focused on her behavior and giving myself credit for my good reaction. But you know what? I wasn't digging deep enough. You follow me? I was giving myself credit for behaving. But deep inside, I was still carrying a spirit there that was not from the Lord. And you know what happened? It kept me stirred up. It never went to a place of rest. I never could get past it because I was focusing on her behavior and my, and my behavior. It wasn't going deep enough for me. What are you trying to teach me, Lord? This irritating conversation I have over and over, and y'all... I think this conversation needs to happen this week before you all go hang out with your families. Because some of you have situations in your families where you're taking a deep breath and you are girding your loins for battle. It's just hard. Girding your it's, loins. Well, that's my battle analogy. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. So my question for you, do I need to put you out in the hall? <laughs> So, so this, like, is, this is important. Like, uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
This is important. Listen, they're all going to hang out with relatives. And I'm telling I, you, I, the I, spirit, I you're going to have a spirit well up in you that you're going to have to say to yourself, okay, I can't focus on the behavior of my mother-in-law. And I'm saying that because I'm a mother-in-law. I need to ask myself, what is the spirit well enough? What is, what, where's that spirit from? Jesus said, you don't know what spirit this is of. Ask him, what spirit is this? I do not want this in me. I want to see this with your eyes. Okay? I want you to replace this. You can do this. That's what resurrection power, remember? Raised him from the dead. It can take care of that. Um, Recently, I watched a young friend of mine respond in a situation where someone had said to her, you have hurt me, you have said something that was uh, offensive, and her response was not to that spirit. It was a response of humility, of repentance, of reconciliation. And guess what happened in that particular conflict? took the air out of it, right? There was reconciliation that took place. That's what I'm saying. And it may not happen that way. Your mother-in-law may still be snarky and hateful and make mm-hmm. snide comments about how, you know, her son could have done better and all, oh, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's your response. It's the Holy Spirit in you and identifying those spirits, that's warfare, that are not from Him, that are not from Him. Uh, I like this sentence. There is no ground to be gained by the enemy against a humble person with quiet confidence. Someone who looks at a situation with God's eyes. Don't you like hanging out with those people? They just don't get all caught up in stuff. There's a wisdom there. There's a humility there. That is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. He was not weak. And he spoke for the things that were important. He just wasn't looking to pick a fight because that was not the spirit that he was of. So this week, pray for the work of the spirit in your life, that he will increase your discernment, that he will help you identify those spirits uh, that are not from him. And last thing, you'll see this at the bottom of your thing. I started doing this this week. Some of y'all may do this, but this is a wonderful app. It's got two, it's got a 30-day challenge. It's called pause, one-minute pause. Uh, but this is the little icon for it because there's another one where it's from China and you order things for your house. That's the wrong one. Because <laughs> that's the one I got first. Uh, it's like eight minutes, eight to ten minutes in the morning, eight to ten minutes in the afternoon. There's soothing music. It's got scripture. It's very Rest. simple, Rest. but it reads Ephesians over and over that you may know how deep and wide. I mean, that was like on the first day, and I mean, I felt, found myself being teary because I just thought, this is precious. Listen to it while you get dressed. Listen to it in the car. Have your children listen to it with you, whatever, but get in the rhythm of feeding your heart with good, good truth. That's what Mike is saying. Uh, And it'll make your Thanksgiving better. Anybody have a final thing they want to say or uh, comment? Just get your weapons ready. Hmm? Gird your loins. Gird your loins. See, look, he remembered because I said Thank you so much. (laughs) Y'all have a good one.